0: Oh, lots of good stuff happening today. Okay. Now I have about a 60-minute sermon here for you. I'd like to take a few moments, if I could, this morning and focus on what we're calling Mother's Day. And you know, know, I've said it over the years that I, I resent the fact that Hallmark tells us what our preaching schedule is. But... I also cherish the opportunity to speak about the women in our lives, and I don't think we do it often enough. A few weeks ago, we had a we had we spent some time in God's Word talking about the women of scriptures and and uh, the scripture, and we we realized God has used women in powerful ways all throughout history. And so, I'd like to take a few minutes and talk about Hannah this morning, if I could. I found an article regarding Mother's Day and and the church, and and the the title of the article was um, What Pastors Should and Shouldn't Say on Mother's Day. And I was intrigued by that idea because I I, I think I was telling Sandy just yesterday, Mother's Day is probably the hardest day to work with for God's message because we saw in the video a little bit earlier all the different dynamics that go on in the lives of women. And if you celebrate over here, someone is is feeling a heartache over here. And um, there's just a lot of dynamics that go with it. And the video, I think, did a great job this morning of portraying all of the aspects that we we mark and celebrate on Mother's Day. I found this article, and I, I won't take the time to read the quotes, but it was from three women in three different stages of life. And um, they said, please don't say this, please don't say that, because it, people, women are hurting over this, um, um, miscarriages, abortions, uh, not able to have children. Uh, some uh, some are raising kids, and it's not going well with difficult days, and just the, the difficulties of early childhood years, and things like All those things piled together. And one of the ladies actually said, I... I don't, go to, I don't go to church on Mother's Day. It's just too hard. And so we celebrate moms today. We celebrate all that God does with our moms, through our moms. But we celebrate all of the women in our lives today. I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about Hannah, if I could. I, I looked back, and I've done two or three messages on, on Hannah in the past, and she is just an example of, of God's grace. women who are in these kinds of situations. Um, So I'm not not embarrassed at all to say, let's talk about Hannah again today. In the future, I intend to do more testimonies from the ladies of the Scripture because I think there are powerful stories in there. But for today, I'd like to focus on Hannah. My goal today is to let the ladies of our congregation know how much I and we appreciate you. And my second goal for today is to encourage you in the journey. And I think Hannah can do both of things of those things for us. Turn with me if you would to first Samuel chapter one. <clears throat> Let me give you a little bit of background on who Hannah is in the Old Testament. There was a certain man of, I'm not even going to try to say that word, Ramathayim Sophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zeus, and, and Ephrathite. There'll be a test on that later. Okay, Elkanah is the husband. Ready? Verse 2 He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So we have a husband. We have a wife named Hannah. We have another wife named Penina. And we have a situation where one wife is able to have children and the other one is not. And we know the story. Hannah had no children. Let's keep reading. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. She had a lot of kids by him. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. So I'd like to just look at the picture of this family. First of all, there's a husband. He has two wives. We don't know why he has two wives. It was acceptable. God never condones it. God never blesses it. God's idea for marriage is one man, one woman, at a time, forever, for life. And so all of a sudden, we have two wives in this situation. Now, it could be that because Hannah was unable to have children, it could be like Sarah with Abraham in the Old Testament in Genesis. She might have even said to Elkanah, look, why don't you take another wife and maybe you can carry on your name with a child from her. It could be. We don't really know. It could be that he just took another wife without her blessing. We don't know. All we know is that there's two wives. What we do know is that Elkanah loved Hannah. It says that when they went to the temple... He took, he took his two wives and his children with him, and when it came time to, to separate out the, the sacrifice that they had made, and they received a portion of it back to feed their family, he gave a portion to Penina, and he gave a double portion to Hannah. And the, and the author tells us he loved her. And why did he love her? Because, because she couldn't have children. It tells me something about Elkanah. It tells me that Elkanah loved Hannah, but it also tells me that he was a very gracious man. It tells me that he had compassion for his wife. It tells me that he understood her situation. It tells me that, that he, he embraced her, he had compassion for her, and he loved on her. A man, Zach already told us that we need to behave today, but I'm saying today that we need to follow the illustration of Elkanah, and we need to listen to our wives, I'm not going to look over here to my wife when I say this. We need to listen to our wives. (laughs) Okay, I'll say it again. We need to listen to our wives. We need to love on our wives, and we need to pay attention to where they are and the hurts of their heart. I think about about Eli Elkanah. Later on, we'll read in the story. Actually, we won't because we're running out of time, but Later on in chapter 1, they go to the temple and Hannah is pouring out her heart to God over her situation of having no children, right? I'm, I'm now down to verse verse 9 and 10 and 11 in that range of chapter 1. She's pouring out her heart to God. Her lips are moving, but she's not speaking. She's praying in her heart. And the scripture tells us that she was distressed in her heart and that she was, she was weeping. And then Eli, the chief priest, comes along, and Eli is a case study all by himself. And what does he say to her? Remember? I won't read it. I'll let you read chapter one for yourself. Eli comes along and he says, Hey, are you drunk? No, I'm not drunk. In fact, I've not had anything to drink. But I want you to catch this. Eli, the high priest, never asked her what the issue was. He was a lousy pastor he was a lousy pastor. And I think there are a lot of contrasts in this this passage with Hannah. One of them, it's almost a side issue, but Elkanah loved his wife. He listened to her. He understood her hurts and her heartaches, and he loved on her with a double portion. Eli comes along, and he doesn't listen to her. He doesn't pay attention to her. He accuses her of being drunk. And to get out of the situation— Men, we might do this more often than we care to imagine. To get out of the situation, he said, May the Lord bless you with whatever you're asking him. And he left. Sometimes we men, we do the same thing. We just want, it, we don't, we want to make like we're listening, but we're just trying to get out of the conversation because we're uncomfortable. But you know what, Hannah? And it says, took the, Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Even with the callousness of Eli, she still, still took the blessing as a word from the Lord, and she went on her way, rejoicing. And then the other dynamic that's going on in this family is, is the other wife, Benina. And over at verse 6, says this, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. I don't think we can understand the harassment that Hannah took from this wife. Look at all my kids. Look at how my kids are growing up. Look how Elkanah loves his kids that I gave him. Can't imagine the harassment, the abuse that she just piled on Hannah. What I'd like us to see this morning is that Hannah... Hannah lived in a circumstance that was that was unbelievably difficult. And a lot of moms, a lot of ladies are coming this morning, and maybe maybe life isn't going the way you think it should. Maybe life is difficult like we saw in the video this morning. Lots of different aspects of life for you. Hannah understood what it was to struggle. But I want you to catch something in the passage when you read it yourself. And that is Hannah never complained. Hannah, the the author does not tell us that Hannah lashed out at Penina. She never did. And wouldn't that be our natural human response to lash out and to just, Elkanah could have had two wives that were viciously at each other's throats. But Hannah refused to play the game. You know why? Because I believe that she understood Psalm 127, verse 3. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord, a reward. She understood that she need not holler at Elkanah because it's his fault that they can't have kids. She understood that she need not argue with Penina, even though Penina had this horrible attitude because she understood that everything had to do with God's gift. And so she put all of her life, all of her trust, all of her hope in the living God. And that's the story of Hannah. In all of her circumstances, she trusted God. And we know how the story goes. You continue on in chapter 1, and, <clears throat> and Hannah received the blessing from Eli, even though he didn't have any idea what he was talking about. It was still a blessing from the Lord, and she received it. She went on her way, and the Scripture goes on to tell us that she went home, she knew Elkanah, and she, over, over some months, became pregnant. She was given birth to a son. God gave her the desires of her heart. God is so good to do that. But it took years to get to this place. Gave her the desire of her heart, gave her a son. But in the process, if, if uh, you remember back in chapter 1, in the early part of chapter 1, in her desperate prayer to God, she said, here's, here's my heart, God. You give me a son, and I will give him back to you what we did with the Pechel family today was an illustration of what Hannah's heart was. I will dedicate my children to your service, to your glory, to your name for his life. And she even went on to say that not a razor would touch his head, would shave his head. Most, most of the time when you dedicated somebody to a vow, it was from the age of 25 until, I don't remember the length of time, but it was a fixed amount of time, fixed amount of years when you made this kind of vow that you were to keep it. She didn't wait till Samuel was 25 years old. Scripture tells us that she weaned him, took about three years, and at three years old, she entered into that vow with the Lord that she had made. I can't imagine the obedience that that took. If you read later on chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, you'll see that every year she went up to the temple and it says she made a little robe. For Samuel. I'm trying to imagine. I'm trying to imagine Hannah hand making, hand sewing a little robe for her son that she hasn't seen since last year. I'm trying to imagine the thoughts that were going through her head. And she, well, how tall did he grow this year? How much does he weigh this year? What's his personality shaping out to be like? Is he just a a fun little guy running around the the tabernacle trying to envision what her son will look like on the day that she gets to visit him at the tabernacle? Wondering if she guessed right with with sewing the robe. Will it fit him? I can't imagine what was going on in the heart of Hannah. Sandy and I sent our kids off to Black Forest Academy as missionaries in Romania. We said we would never do that told God we would never, ever do that. And all three of our kids graduated from Black Forest Academy. They lived 1,000 miles away from us. And now here's what, I want you, here's what I want you to see this morning. Sandy said in the last year that we, we were in Romania and our kids were graduating, our, last, our daughter Jennifer was graduating and we were coming back here. But in, in, even in that last year, Sandy said, I just want to see my kids. I just want to be with my kids. I think if that's true for us in the the pain of that separation, I wonder what it was like for Hannah knowing that she had dedicated her, her son from three years old for the rest of his life to serve the Lord. Do you understand the sacrifice that she made? The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 12, Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh. He said that Satan gave him this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, if it was a vision problem or a, a speech impediment or if it was a handicap of some kind. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. You remember the story? Paul said, I'm, I, I prayed to the Lord three times. Take it away from me. And it's reminiscent of Hannah desperately pleading her case before the Lord. And the Lord's response to the Apostle Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. Now I'm thinking the Apostle Paul probably didn't get up as he was praying that day, whatever, it, whatever that day looked like, however he was praying. I, I don't imagine he just got up and said, Well, okay then. That grace needs to be worked out in our lives every day. We need to cling to that grace every day. It's a gift. It's something we can't work for. It's something we can't earn. It's by definition, it's grace. But I think we learn from the Apostle Paul, and we learn especially from Hannah today, that that grace was sufficient for her, but it was a hard-fought battle. Every day she had to wake up longing to see her son, but knowing that she had entrusted him to the Lord's care and knowing that his grace would see her through that day. So ladies, I don't know what circumstance you're, you're facing today. I don't know what, what motherhood looks like to you or, or not motherhood looks like to you or, or if your kids are young or in, their, in your house is busy and crazy and you never get any time for yourself or, or if your kids are grown and they've gone in directions that you never planned. I don't know what it is. But I know that God is giving you a portion of grace and like Elkanah gave to Hannah, he's giving you a double portion if you will just seize it today. It's hard fought, and you need to claim that promise for yourself every day. Let me take, there's one more thing with the story of Hannah that we don't ever talk about. Um, but I think it, it has every bit of bearing on, on where we're at today. If you remember, I read in verse 1 of uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 3, I believe, in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Eli was the chief priest. Hophni and Phinehas were his two sons. If you go on and read in chapter 2, you'll read about Hophni and Phinehas and talk about what the, the words in my English Standard Version, are, they are worthless men. Worthless men. They say that the Scripture is, is a... Is a re- I'm sorry. Is a record of a, a history long record of God's people. How would you like to have your record in His eternal word, being they were a worthless bunch, but they were. And here's what they did: they were priests in the temple, in the tabernacle, and people would bring their sacrifices, and then they would boil the sacrifices as they offered them, and then the priests would take a cut of that when it was all when the sacrifice was all made the priests would take a cut of that as their sustenance in the, in the tabernacle. It was the way God set it up. But they would come along and they would take the first fruit out of that meat that was being boiled. And they would take the fat off of it before it was burned off because that's the succulent part of the meat. And, and if people came along and said, Look, I don't want you to do that. I want to finish my sacrifice. I want my sacrifice to be God to be whole, to be complete. They would bully them and say, No, I demand that you give me that right now. And so, the first accusation that God gives in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is they, they despised the sacrifices of God. And then the second the offense second that they committed in the tabernacle was, was, was I, I don't even know if I want to say it. They were having sexual relationships with the women of the tabernacle. It says that the women who worked at the entryway of the tabernacle were seduced by these two priests, and they were having relations with them in the temple. Worthless men. If you read later in chapter 4, I believe, in 1 Samuel, you see that they, uh, they despised the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the tabernacle. Are you with me? I think this is fascinating. They despised the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the tabernacle. They despised it so much that one author said that the Ark of the Covenant had become a talisman for them, a good luck charm. That's all it was. It didn't represent the presence of God like it was supposed to. To them, it was just a good luck charm. So the, the army of Israel went out, and they were getting pounded out on the battlefield. They were losing the battle. So the, 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 the generals said, well, look, why don't we bring the Ark of the Covenant out here, and we'll win the battle then, and to see it as a good luck charm, right? So they brought, the, they brought the Ark of the Covenant out onto the battlefield, thinking, okay, now God's going to let us win the battle. And not only did they lose the battle, but Hophni and Phineas were there as well, and they were killed in the battle, the two worthless men. And the ark was lost. The ark was lost, and it wasn't seen again for years and years and years. A runner came back and told Eli, uh, here's the bad news. Your sons have been killed in battle, and the ark has been lost. We don't know where it went says that Eli was a heavy man, and when he heard the news, he fell over and hit himself so hard that he died from his injuries. Worthless man. Why do I tell you that? Because I believe in the culture of the day that was was representative of the culture of the day. It was wicked. It was depraved. It was going in directions that God never intended in. Does that sound familiar like today? Help me out. That's the culture we're living in today. We're going in all kinds of places. I believe we're even going to polygamy. I believe our discussion naturally has to take us to those kinds of non-boundaries. We're going to places that God never intended, and we're soon to be judged for it. But here's what I want you to see, ladies. I want you to see this woman who came into that scene and she didn't intend to change the culture. She didn't intend to, to, to have it she didn't have any big, expansive vision like that. She just wanted a son. She just wanted to praise the Lord with the son. She just wanted to give her son to the Lord. That was her worship. But in the midst of that, Hannah comes with her faith in the midst of a culture that was rotten to the core. And here stands a woman all by herself as a testimony to what it is to pour their life out to Christ. Hannah was an amazing woman. Not only did God hear her prayers, not only did she walk in obedience to God, but God met her heartaches, gave her grace. Samuel went on to be one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Samuel went on to, to be a spoken word to his people to come back to God, to Jehovah God, who we sang about earlier. Samuel anointed kings. King David was anointed by Samuel and changed the course of history. You see, I believe that when, ladies, when you walk in obedience, when you pour your heart out like Hannah did, even if it takes years to walk with the Lord in this, with this passion, with this heartache, he will give you the grace that you need for today. And I believe that God will change the world through you and your prayers, and your obedience. So ladies, I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to know that the men of this, of this congregation, men of your family, we struggle with how to say we love you. We struggle with to give you the right words of encouragement, and some days some days you're wondering where we are. But today, today I'm going to speak for all the men, and I'm going to speak for me included. We love you. And in the name of Jesus, we, we, we bless you. In the name of Jesus, we receive the blessing that you are to us and to our families. So I pray that you would walk in the abundance of his joy and his grace today. And I pray that you would know the fullness of him, no matter what your circumstances are. And I pray that as he pours out his grace, you will walk in joy. One, a fun fact, Hannah writes a song, writes a poem of praise. As soon as she drops off Samuel at the temple, he's three years old. I can't imagine the heartache. She writes a, writes a song. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She writes a song of praise. Can't imagine. I pray that you would walk in that kind of praise today. Here's the fun fact. Mary, when she sang her song of praise, was modeled after Hannah's song of praise in 1 Samuel 2. You can lay the two praises and prayers over alongside each other and they are they're the same structure Mary took heart from Hannah and I pray that you would do the same today Is that a good word for today Amen Lord Jesus I thank you for every every woman in this room I pray, I thank you for every young girl in this room and for the impact that they will have in this on this world for your sake I pray your your blessings of joy and peace satisfaction, and reward today for every woman in this room. Lord Jesus, we pray in your powerful name, the one, the God of history, the God who sees the beginning from the end, the God who pours out grace, we pray in your name. Jesus, amen, amen. For all the ladies today, we have a special treat for you. Please receive it back in the foyer as you leave today. On your way, rejoicing.